dating act to follow. <laughs> My name is Raymond, and I'm the pastor here. For Lent, we've been focusing on the Old Testament lectionary texts, which also focus on the promises or the covenants that God has made with God's people. We're also looking how the texts have informed our sanctified mind, body, heart, and soul. And today's focus is on the body. The context of the book of Numbers, which, by the way, is the favorite book of the Bible for actuaries and accountants, has Israel, the people of God, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's framed around two censuses, hence the name Numbers. And these censuses take place in chapter 1 and chapter 26. Now, Numbers is not a history in the modern sense of the term but rather it's a record of how God has acted in history as an indicator of how God would also act again on behalf of God's people. So today's text is chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. In chapter 20, the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness and wanted to take a shortcut through the land of Edom. And Edom says, no, you need to take the long way around. So imagine that you want to go to Camden, which you can see, it's just across the river. But Edom is the Ben Franklin Bridge, so you can't go that way. Oh, and by the way, the next bridge to the north is up in Trenton, and the next bridge to the south, you actually have to go through Delaware. So it's exhausting. You have to travel all this way out of the way. But wait, there's more. Because Israel, up to this point, has been led by Moses and his brother Aaron. Now, Aaron has been second in command for this entire journey. And as they are just setting out on this detour, Aaron dies. And everyone mourns for 30 days there at Mount Hor. And this is where the text picks up. A little cranky, a little sad, and still very exhausted. Now, an important note, it's fine to complain about our leaders. And in this day and age, it's particularly fine to complain about our leaders. And it's fine also to complain to God. Now, there's a whole series of psalms known as psalms of complaint or psalms of lament. I mean, there's even an entire book in the Old Testament about expressing appropriately one's complaints or laments called lamentations. However, the Israelites go a bit too far. The text. From Mount Hor, they sent out on, by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. By the way, I love that line, there's no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Sounds like my dinner table. I'm hungry, and I don't like what you've cooked. Israel has forgotten God's call to be God's chosen, God's holy nation, and a kingdom of priests. The Old Testament lection for today also shows that Israel forgot how God persistently 
and graciously gave Israel life in the wilderness that's so full of death. Grumbling has driven out gratitude. Israel was called to be a light to the nations, but instead was casting a shadow of gloom around everything. To the text. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lutheran scholar Cameron Howard notes in this week's reading that we, like the Israelites themselves, are often left to draw our own conclusions. Is God punishing the people with the snakes? If God sent the snakes, then surely the people deserved it? Otherwise, there's no discernible reason. And now this God is much less predictable, much less safe than we could ever have imagined. The Episcopal theologian Elizabeth Webb says that one of the most difficult questions that this text raises is that of the character of God. What kind of God is this who inflicts death on people for their lack of trust? Recall that the people have been to Sinai, what we spoke about last week, where they receive the law and are bound in covenant with God. Their lack of faith is, to the writers of this passage, a violation of the covenant and therefore worthy of punishment? Back to the text. And the Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. Whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. Again, Cameron Howard. The people name their sin and then ask Moses to pray for them. This role as a go-between is what Moses does best, helping communication between God and God's people. In this story, God does not give the people what they ask for. They want Moses to get God to take the serpents away from us. Verse 7. But the serpents don't go away. And they don't stop biting. Instead, God instructs Moses on how to heal the people who are bitten. They're still bitten and they live. Deliverance does not come in the way that they expect. God does not remove the snakes, but provides a means of healing in the midst of this danger. God brings healing precisely where the sting is the worst. There is a gift of healing where the pain experienced is the sharpest. Deliverance comes not in being removed from the wilderness, but being in the very presence of the enemy. The movement from death to life occurs with the very experience of God-forsakenness. There is this shift from punishment to salvation. I'd like to turn to a point raised by Elizabeth Webb about the remarkable fact about the Israelites in their 40 years in the wilderness. is simply the fact that they go on and they keep going. How do they do this? In the midst of their desperation at a journey that was even more harder than they imagined? How did they go on? How would we, how do we go on when we're faced 
with a similar circumstance. What do we do when something for which we have hoped and prayed and labored recedes further and further into distance? If someone never receives that financial security he or she has worked so hard for, is never able to heal a relationship that's long broken, if I never quite become the person that I want to be, what happens then? Again, God's provision of healing in this passage is instructive. Even in our worst failures and disappointments, God provides. God offers healing for our wounds, relationship for our loneliness, and faithfulness for our faithlessness. God doesn't remove the sources of our suffering, but God makes the journey with us, providing what we most deeply need, if we but look in the right direction. I could stop there. Maybe I should stop there. But there's another point for us to consider. For the Israelites, it was looking at a serpent that was lifted up on a pole. For us today, the image of being lifted up and raised is also appropriate. Today's lectionary text from the Gospel includes the very familiar John 3.16, and listen to the larger context of John 3, verses 14 through 18. Verse 14 begins, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whomever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned. Again, there's this shift from punishment to salvation. The Scottish theologian Doug Bratt notes that in the cross in John's Gospel, like Numbers, the bronze serpent on the pole, doesn't just symbolize God's righteous fury with God's children's sins. It also points to the Lord's life-giving power. Yet there's a difference between the life-giving bronze serpent and Jesus Christ. Numbers 21 doesn't say that the Israelites had to believe God would heal them when they looked at the bronze serpent. God simply tells Moses that anyone whom the snake bites can merely look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus, by contrast, doesn't claim that just looking at his cross will save him or save anyone. Instead, he insists that those who believe in the power of the crucified Christ to save us from our sins will be saved. 2,000 years ago, after all, God sent not a serpent, but his only son, Jesus Christ. God sent not a snake of bronze, but Jesus Christ made of flesh and blood. Now, don't take my word for it. For the New Testament lectionary text for the day, Ephesians 2 continues this shift from punishment to salvation. And it's more than a snake on a pole that's lifted up. It's more than Jesus Christ that's lifted up. It's even us who are raised up. The text, you are dead through the trespasses and sins in which you live, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air and the spirit that is now among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, 
and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and you have been raised up with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, is the gift of God, not the results of work, so that none may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. My final point. I want to share two tactical examples of how the Old Testament texts are alive and well and influencing our lives today. If you ever wondered why there are seven days in the week, it's literally because in the creation narrative in Genesis, where God creates everything in six days and rested on the seventh. And still today, you can see the snake on a pole and I don't mean snakes on a plane. It's appropriate that the emergency medical services, the EMS, be distinctively identified for the benefit not only of EMS providers, but also their patients and the general public. Recognizing the need for a symbol that would represent this critical public service and easily be recognized by everyone, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration created the Star of Life and holds a copyright for the use of this certification mark, which, by the way, is printed on the bottom of the back page of the bulletin. The serpent and the staff portray the staff of Asclepius, an ancient Greek physician deified as the god of medicine. And yet today's lectionary passage was written a thousand years before the Greeks engaged yet again in cultural appropriation and borrowed the image Overall, the staff represents medicine and healing, with the skin-shedding serpent being indicative of renewal. So when you see this symbol, think of healing and renewal that God wants you to have as God accompanies us through our wilderness. God will take care of you. God will take care of us. Thanks be to God.